0: Jesus in all that we do, and what I love is the way that our God is a God who, who meets people where they're at, and not just one or two or three groups of people, but all peoples for his glory. Um, how cool was that scripture reading, y'all? Man, to hear the word of God read in various languages, uh, in English, in Tagalog, in Korean, in Farsi, and in Spanish, it, it reminds us that the message of Jesus is indeed for all people. There's no language barrier for the gospel. So church, I mean, we just got to glory, give glory to God, glory in this truth, Um, but also let the truth sink in that there are yet still languages without the gospel. There are peoples that have yet to be reached in distant places. And it's going to take someone like us to go or to fund the going, and so church, we just got to be a part of that. That is not at all what I plan on talking about, man. It's just—it's just that reminder, man. That God, God is—he—he he wants to show His glory off everywhere through saving people. But we are His instruments. We are His instruments. So, uh, well, welcome everyone, man. I'm glad—I'm glad to be worshiping with you all. Um, in a moment, we're gonna. Collect our morning offering, which is also part of our worship. Worship doesn't stop; like we didn't just finish our worship and continue on. Uh, worship goes from start to finish here. Um, our offering is part of that, and there are at least four different ways you can give. You see it on the screen there. What, what I want us to know is, uh, God is at work in our midst here at the Brook. Um, just this past Friday, we had something like 30, almost, yeah, about 30 youth who came on out as part of our youth gathering. We had about about 40 kids show up yesterday for baseball clinics. These are with a gospel focus, y'all. We have have our real community groups in Bell Park, a real community group that's doing an Easter egg Uh, hunt for kids on Easter Sunday at Bell Park, uh, after each of our worship services for Easter. And so these are the things God is doing among us, and we want you to be a part of it. We want you to know what's taking place. Even with the Easter egg hunts, they're um, they're asking that we as a church would collect and and stuff Easter eggs and bring them on Sundays. We'll give you more details in the weeks ahead, but that's what we want to do. We want to see the good news of Jesus intersect in every sphere of life in our society, in our neighborhood. And uh, God's going to use us to do it, and that's what he's doing. So when you, when you partake in the work God is doing here, when you give to the work God is doing here, the gospel advances into our neighborhood. So I want to invite our ushers to come forward. I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll have our offering collected. Let's pray together. Father, uh, I thank you for everything you're doing in, the, in our midst, Lord, using very frail people like us. But God, what can we say but thank you? God, as we give, God, whatever means we're going to give right now, I pray that we do so with a joyful heart, Lord. God, you say in your word that you, you want us to, have, to be a cheerful giver. I'm just thankful, God, that your love compels us, but you don't, you don't, uh, you don't condemn us into giving. You, you move us into giving out of joy for what you've done for us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would do so with a glad heart today. Um, God, I pray that you be lifted high in our offering. May you be pleased in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've got a few announcements I want to give to you guys. Um, the first of which, after service today, we have our covenant family member meeting, or a, a class. Yeah. So, uh, just so you know, if, if you're newer to the brook, or maybe you've never been to our covenant family class, what it is, is we as a church, we believe that what God's word says in the Bible, that we are a family. That's why we call each other brother and sister. And God is our father. And it's like Jesus is our big brother, right? Because he's the son of God. And, and so we're, we're a family. And so when we talk about our covenant family membership at the brook, it's for those of us who want to uh, draw a line in the sand and say, hey, the brook is our home church. We, I, I am joining in the mission God is doing here. And for us at the brook, we take this very serious, which is why we have a class for it. It'll be about an hour and a half right after service. We've got lunch provided. And in the class, you'll hear about the vision we believe God's given us as a church to make disciples according to what the Bible says. And we're going to invite you into that journey. And if you're interested in that, this is the first step in that process. So um, maybe you've been only at brook for a few weeks, maybe for a few months, but wherever you're at in the spectrum, if you want to know more about what God is doing here, our vision, our theology, our associations with a a broader network, um, our philosophy of ministry, Come on out to that class. Like I said, it's about an hour and a half only downstairs, and I, I think you'll be encouraged by it. Uh, those of you who are part of the Covenant family, would you agree with what I just said? Yeah? yeah? Cool. So the brick is only six and a half years old, so this is only the third time we're doing this class. Uh, so this is all still pretty new for all of us. Um, a second thing I want to make you aware of is uh, something that's called a Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaway that is happening here in Chicagoland. Um, we know that in our, our Brooke family, there is a wide span of people. We have, we have young and old. We have married and singles. We have people from different walks of life. And yet one of the segments in our church community are married couples. And those who are married, we know that our marriages are under attack. That deserves an amen, I think. Amen. Unless you're, you're not under attack, I mean, right? In um, culture, marriage is under attack. And so what we want to see happen is that our church community, our church family, our married couples, would get the tools they need to grow and thrive in their marriage. Um, last week, Erica and I were not here, because we were actually leading a weekend to, to remember marriage getaway in Kansas City, uh, with actually Tony and Limati Navarro, who were part of our church previously. And so Erica and I are going to do that here in Chicagoland in March, but there's also another one in April. And so what I would say is, if you, you want, you would like some help in your marriage, which I think all of us who are married need it. Um, go ahead and register for a weekend to remember. Uh, use the code, a discount code, the Brook, Chicago, in one word, because uh, then you get 100 dollars off, and that helps us as a church, because after so many of them, we also get other discounts and gifts that come with that. So please use that discount code. Uh, maybe you want to bless somebody. Maybe you know somebody. you're like, "Hey, um, I saw y'all fighting the other day. Let me get you a weekend to remember, right? <laughs> Whatever it takes, all right? But, but a real talk, please please go ahead and do that. And uh, we know that there might be people gone on Sundays for this, but that's a sacrifice we are glad to make for sure. Um, all right, so our, our last announcement before I, I dismiss our Brookheads is a pretty exciting one. So if you're like me, man, I feel like God has been just doing some beautiful things in our church family the last, for the last year. And, um, and there are just different rhythms that he puts us on and different things that are taking place. And one of those things, we've just been so blessed by our worship team, um, there's been a, yeah, there's been a, a, a chemistry, um, camaraderie among our team members. We're just so thankful for them. But one of the consistent burdens that Pastor Jeremy and I have felt with the worship team is like, man, we just want to keep, we want to serve them better, knowing how, how much work it is that, that each of our team members do. And so, uh, through, through as we've prayed, as we talked to our leadership, and as God in his time, he had worked out, um. Our brother Joshua has become quite available to serve with us, and we've offered him a worship director position at the Brook, and he's accepted it. So, can you come on up, bro? <laughs> yeah, love you, bro. So. One of Josh's roles will be to, to serve and minister to the worship team, to help structurally, behind the scenes. It's a lot of work. Pastor Jeremy's been holding it down, man, like holding it down. And so um, what this will do is free up Pastor Jeremy and give, give the, the responsibility to, to Josh, who has already been serving, with the great team. Look, we've got a rotation of worship leaders. You see it every week. I mean, you, you, you come one week, you come the next, and there's a total different group of people up here. And uh, we don't expect that to change. We want to still use um, our, our team. There will be different kinds of rotations, no doubt. And, uh, but our, our brother Josh will be running and leading that. I'm thankful for each of our worship leaders, um, our team members. And we're just excited about the, the new horizons God's going to bring us to. Um, we realize as a church, God wants us to multiply. Uh, we ultimately want to plant more churches. And uh, in order to plant churches, we've got to raise up leaders, and we've got to raise up leaders eventually to send out leaders. Uh, when you think about the early church, when uh, God uh, put the burden on the, the, the church in the city of Antioch, saying, hey, we want you to send out missionaries, you know what they did? They sent out their two best. They sent out a guy named Paul and a guy named Barnabas, two names that we know quite well because they were the missionaries for the church. And the, the church in Antioch says, hey, We want to send out these leaders because we want this church planting work to thrive. And so part of that is just raising up leaders and just seeing what God does over the next year, two years, three years. Uh, Josh, can I pray for you, bro? Thankful for you, man. Let's pray, church. Father, I thank you for um, our brother Joshua. I thank you for um, just for the heart you've given him to serve here at the brook for the last year and a half, two years, and um, thank you, God, for just even giving him opportunity and space to, to serve in this way. Um, just praise you for that, Lord. I pray that you would cause um, our team members to thrive, to continue to grow and sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. And Lord, um, we just pray that for, for our worship team and in all the areas in our church community. God, we want to reach our neighborhood. We want to make disciples. We want to be faithful to the Great Commission. And so I pray you would help us do that uh, through using our gifts Um, in whatever capacity you call us to. So we love you, God. I thank you for our brother Josh. Would you strengthen him and protect him and use him, Lord, to do great things for your glory. Father, we give you all the credit for everything that's taken place because you alone deserve it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, bro. Yeah, well, with that, um, I want to invite all of us to stand up together. And invite our Brooke kids, that's our fifth grade and under. You guys can be dismissed to your classrooms. And um, we also want to invite everybody to, to wel- uh, welcome one another here. And those of you in the overflow space, you guys could come into the sanctuary, main sanctuary, now that we have seating available. Good morning, church fam. Would you meet me in the book of Romans chapter 1? As you head to your seats and grab a Bible. Romans chapter 1. Would you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 1? I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. And uh, would you stand with me as I, as I read the scripture yet again? Definitely not as good as we had it read earlier. Or, but nonetheless, I'll be reading. If you didn't have a Bible with you today, if you don't own one, please uh, grab that blue one in the chair in front of you. If you don't own one, please take that blue one home. We would want you to have it. Um, this, this is a sword in our hand, isn't it, church? Romans 1:16 and 17 says this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Can you say that? Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written. The righteous shall live by faith. Amen. Father, I do pray that you would speak through me, God, as we open your word. God, I ask that um, as we continue to dance through this scripture in Romans, that the truths of who you are and what you've done through Jesus Christ, The doctrine would get us on the move, God. Lord, I pray that you would um, minister to our hearts today. I know we all come with different kinds of weights on our shoulders. And I pray, God, that you would alleviate them. God, I also pray, God, for our our world, God. There's much fear regarding the coronavirus. Lord, we know many people have died by it. And Father, we do pray that you would put an end to it, God. God, we do pray for a a cure to this disease. And Father, for wholeness to take place, but in such a way that points people to the greatest of healers, Jesus Christ. Lord, we also know as we pray that, that your word says in the last days there will be disease. There will be war and famine and pestilence and that these things are necessary before Jesus returns. So Lord, um, if these be the birth pains, so to speak, we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. But between now and then, may we be faithful. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We see the church. 1,807 years ago, This month, 1,807 years ago, this month, there was a young lady who lived in the Roman Empire. She was living in the year 203 A.D. And that March, her faith in Jesus became public. Quite public, in fact, in such a way that in the Roman Empire... A public faith in Jesus in the 3rd century was also a death sentence on you. The young lady's name is Perpetua. Perpetua had a young child, and she came to faith in Jesus, and she was feeling the heat. She knew that soon she'd be arrested and then executed for her faith. And she's home one day with her dad, and her dad pleaded with his daughter to renounce her faith in Jesus. He persuaded her on and on, saying, please do this. Perpetua said to her father, she said, Father, do you see that vase over there? He said, yes, I do. She says, what is it? He said, well, it is a vase. She said, could it be anything else than what it is? And her father said, no, no. And so she said in reply, well, so too I cannot be called anything other than what I am, a Christian. She would soon stand before the governor who told her to have pity on her father and her infant son and offer sacrifices in the name of the emperor. She said, I will not. He said, are you a Christian? She said, yes, I am. Perpetua would be thrown into an arena where she and her friend Felicity would be executed by the sword before a great crowd in the year 203 A.D. She was unashamed of the gospel. In the year 155 A.D., soldiers came to the house of a man named Polycarp, knocking on his door, looking for him, finding him and arresting him and bringing him to the town square. They arrested him for being a follower of Jesus, some 91 years old. Polycarp was tied to a stake, and they told him once again, have respect to your old age. And someone else said, swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent and say away with the atheists. So they called Christians because they denied that the emperor was God. Polycarp responded Eighty and six years I have served Jesus, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? He sealed his fate, and in 155 A.D., Polycarp was burnt to death. He was unashamed of the gospel. We could tell stories on and on of people like you and me who became obedient and unwavering in their faith, facing death head on because they were not ashamed of Jesus. What it takes for someone to be bold to that level comes with a true understanding of what God has done for them. But there are people in our day, even in this church, who likewise are unashamed of the gospel. I heard recently of one who shared the gospel with someone at a restaurant and the waitress came to know Christ just weeks ago. We've heard of others through baseball and on the block telling people about Jesus. And if you're like me, I wonder, man, would I do so, though, at the edge of a sword? None of us actually know the answer to that until we're placed in that situation. But we do know that it takes something for us to understand that the gospel is worth of dying for in order for us to be prepared to die for it. it. It can't be simply an idea that intrigues us, but it has to be truly a message that has freed us. If the good news of Jesus is just in the realm of theory, it, it doesn't make a difference then. We're not ready to die for just an idea, but we're ready to die for something that has changed us. It it can't be a mere outline on a paper, but a lifeline in person, doesn't it? What does it take for us to be ready to suffer unashamed? Well, church, this is what we're talking about today. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul says, for I am unashamed of the gospel For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What we see in these two verses is Paul giving us a reason why the good news of Jesus is worth not just living for, but also dying for. We could think of The importance of sharing what we believe. You see, when we are changed by the good news of Jesus, we not only are the president of this message, we're also the client, aren't we? And so God calls us to be the kind of people who not just represent Jesus, but we represent him because we've been changed by him. This is what Romans 1, 16 and 17 is all about. Church, we're going to talk about how to become unashamed for Jesus today, and why the gospel is something for us to not only live for, but also to die for. Paul opens up this message saying, I am unashamed of the gospel, for I am unashamed of the gospel. Can you say that? I am unashamed of the gospel. The first word is the word for, which then takes us to the preceding context that Pastor Jeremy preached last week. And I I heard it was quite fire. In the passage, Paul is expressing to the Romans why he wants to go visit them. He says he's compelled, he's motivated to come to to bring a spiritual gift, but also to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome. It's something that flows from who he is. And he says, because, in this verse, for I'm unashamed of the gospel. I notice how he says, I am unashamed of the gospel. And church, this is what it comes down to. All of us have to make this decision. No one's going to be unashamed for you. When you stand before an executioner, when you stand before someone who's antagonistic, it's not someone else's faith that will sustain you in the moment, but your faith in Jesus. For I am unashamed of the gospel. What is this gospel we're talking about? We hear the gospel a lot. When someone says something real cool, like, man, that's gospel. Maybe you've... Listen to music awards, you have gospel music as a genre. What is gospel? Well, in a nutshell, it is the good news that Jesus came to live and die for sinners and rose from the dead for your forgiveness and eternal life when you put your faith in him and turn from your sins. That's good news. But what I want to tell you about is this word gospel comes from a Greek word euangelion, for which we get the word Evangelical. So when we say we're evangelical, it's because we're gospel people. Now, the word's been hijacked by other uh, peoples in our culture, but at the end of the day, we're good news people. But the cool thing to me is actually that word has a root before Christianity. You see, it was used by Demetrius I. He was a, a, a one time a ruler of the Greek Empire, some 30 years after Alexander the Great. And what was happening was after he would have victory over his enemies, he would send out a messenger to go out throughout the cities and declare the victory that Demetrius had won over their enemies. This messenger brought a euangelion, a good news message. Now, this is pretty wild. As I was studying this, these messengers were super excited about this responsibility to go to these towns because they knew that the first one to show up in a town to share this good news of victory would also then be considered worthy of honor and many times receive a crown for their message. And then those who didn't bring the message in a timely manner were looked down upon because they were withholding good news from people who wanted it. It's pretty wild, huh? So the Apostle Paul, who's been saved by Jesus, sees this word and what it means in culture, and he's like, I'm going to do some commandeering of my own right now. I'm going to borrow this message, and I'm going to use it for something greater. See, when Paul says, I'm unashamed of the gospel, he wants us to understand that there is still good news, and there is good news about a victory that has been won, and this victory is what God won through Jesus on the cross, having victory over sin and death. And Paul's like, in the same way then, We are messengers who get this great privilege to share this victory in cities throughout. And guess what? Those of us who share this message do indeed get a crown of life and glory. This message is one that changes people's lives. I read one guy said this, the gospel isn't good advice suggesting you lift yourself up. It is power that picks you up. Church, I don't know if you are here with me today, but this is powerful message. The good news of Jesus is a message then that we are called to not be ashamed of. To be ashamed of something is to feel shame or guilt based on some particular event or activity. What Paul is saying is, I'm not ashamed of an event that is the cross of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of it. In, in our Western society, we are told to be bold about a lot of things, aren't we? In fact, boldness is praised in most situations. Political affiliation boldness, uh, sexual orientation changes boldness, there's boldness in religious belief, boldness in fashion, and what our culture celebrates is this expression of boldness. And I was thinking about this, and I was realizing, you know, this boldness actually there, there's something in our desire and longing that actually comes from God. God has wired us to be people who are courageous. And so we want to be bold about something, but where culture goes wrong is where we get bold about things that are true according to our own minds, but not according to God's word. And so what Paul is saying is, what will you and I be bold about? What will we be unashamed about? And he says, I will be unashamed about this gospel but it is also wild in our culture that praises tolerance right and boldness it does so at the exception of but don't be bold about your christian faith don't be bold about jesus in fact we'll be intolerant of jesus who we want to be tolerant of everything else and and so what we see in culture really is up against what we find in the scripture and so what we find in scripture is paul basically saying this the good news of jesus is countercultural it goes against the grain and so when something goes against the grain we feel the burden of shrinking back and so paul basically is like look will you or will you not be unashamed for jesus will you or will you not be unashamed this good news of jesus has a lot of things that might cause us to feel ashamed about you and i have felt it before we tell someone about the good news It feels maybe a little embarrassing because we're talking about something that happened 2,000 years ago and it matters in my life today. Other things 2,000 years ago are considered ancient history. Maybe you might feel shame because the gospel, this good news of Jesus, is pretty exclusive. Jesus says, I am the way. There there is no other way. So every other way is the wrong way. Maybe, Maybe we feel shame about that. Maybe we feel shame over the message that says that all people are actually separated from God. Even the best people we know are not good enough for heaven on their own. Maybe the shame is the fear of the ridicule or the scorn to be called closed-minded or someone just saying, you're straight-up pathetic. Maybe the shame is the claim that someone rose from the dead never to die again. I mean, when you think about it, Christianity does sound a bit odd to ears of many. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, I was sharing the gospel with someone who's going through some really awful things, um, second-guessing their life, trying to think through what, what's the purpose, and as I shared the gospel, I saw this look of like, oh, Sam, you're, ta- you're talking about something pretty different here. And even me, as I'm, I'm trying to share it in the most plain of ways, I'm like, how is this person hearing what I'm saying? But you know that if I'm going to be faithful to talk about what the Bible talks about, I've got to share all of it. And so, will I shrink back in shame? Will you shrink back in shame? Paul makes this declaration, I am unashamed, because he also knows what Jesus said about those who are ashamed of Jesus. Jesus says in Mark eight thirty eight: Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Basically what Jesus is saying is, Those who are ashamed of me in this life, I will be ashamed of when I come. Paul makes it clear, hey, I'm not ashamed. I know that there's one way to forgiveness and eternal life, and I'm going to share it. But why is he unashamed of this gospel? He goes on to give us two reasons, at least in this text. The first one is, Paul says, those who are unashamed are such because they've been saved by God's power. And the second reason is they've been changed by God's pronouncement. God's power in his pronouncement is the kind of thing when we've experienced, it's the kind of thing that should, by default, causes us to be unashamed about the message. And so what I hope is we do some heart checking here. Because a lot of times we're either becoming dull because we've drifted, or maybe the most scary is we're dull because we've never been saved. And church, I say that because I want us to really believe when Jesus, by his power, saves you from your sin, it will change your life. And so let's look at what Paul says here. He says, for I am unashamed of the gospel. Why? Well, for, that's the first answer, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the power of God. We love power. We love displays of power in our culture, don't we? This is why superhero movies are so popular. I'm I'm positive about it. We just love the idea of someone bigger and stronger stepping into the scene, scene and rescuing. It's in every book, every story. There is a tough guy or a tough gal or someone who does good to save someone else. There's this longing for redemption in our hearts. It's also a longing to see power at work. And yet what Paul is basically saying is there is no greater power that any of our minds can conjure up than the power of God through Jesus. Now, I, I really want this to, to, to sit in here because this is, this is good stuff. Think about the most powerful pictures you can in Hollywood. Just think about it. You, you start thinking of Avengers you start thinking of the Hulk. What's the guy with the glove? With Thanos. I couldn't remember his name. Yeah. You start thinking like this. But just think of the most powerful things. Basically, what God's word is like look, nothing here that we could think of in our minds can compare to the power of Jesus. Why is this? Well, just think about what God, is, what God tells us. Even Jesus says to his disciples, uh, as Jesus was on earth, he says, you see all that I do? Greater things than these you will do, Jesus tells his disciples. That, that's mind-blowing. I read that in John 14. Greater works than these you will do. And I'm like, okay, Jesus raised the dead. That's power. Jesus walked on water. Jesus turned water to wine. Jesus gave sight to the Jesus made the lame walk. He calmed the storm by his word. And he says, greater things than these you will do. What I believe Jesus was getting at here is what Paul is getting at here. Because what Jesus is like, look, I'm on this earth yet, and I haven't even gone to the cross yet, and I've done these things. But when I go to the cross, and I take Sin and your shame on my shoulders, and as I defeat death by emptying that tomb, I now give you a message that has the power to save people from their sins. That's greater than walking on water, that's greater than causing a dead person to live, that's greater than calling me a storm. That is changing someone from eternal death into eternal life. From an object of wrath to a son of God and a daughter of God. That's power and that's the thing our society can conjure up in our minds. But God has done it. Jesus says this power, or Paul says this is the power of God for salvation. Now, this word salvation, we use a lot in the church, but we, again, got to look back. Okay, why do I say this word? Lest it become what we call Christianese. These are words we neck to throw around, but do we know what they mean? Salvation has at its root to be saved. Okay? Many Christians say, I got saved. Cool, from what? I'm saved from what? The answer is not Satan. This is interesting. When we become a follower of Jesus, the gospel itself has the power to save us from God and his wrath toward us who deserve it and gives us God in his mercy to eternal life. The gospel has the power to save us from the just judgment and wrath that we deserve. That is power. And it's this power that's offered to whom in the text? To all who what? Believe. Not to all who try hard. Not to all who come to the brook on a Sunday. Not even to all who come to real community. But to all who believe. This is the great beauty and irony of this good news. Because God's like, hey, I've created a way for you to get saved from my judgment. And the way you get saved is by faith. But then Paul goes on another letter saying, but the faith that you have in God actually didn't even come from you. So it's to all who believe, but believe is not something you mustered up. Belief was a gift from God. To believe in Jesus is to acknowledge and believe that he died on the cross for your sins and took upon God's wrath on your behalf. But that's a gift from God. I think of it this way, it's like we're rowing in a rowboat to shore, and that shore is faith and salvation, and a lot of us are rowing hard. Some of you are here today, you're searching for Jesus, you're searching for God, and you're like, I need an answer because my life is filled with despair, I've got so much guilt over my past. There's so much shame I go to bed with. I don't have answers. I don't have purpose. And you're here rowing. You're like, I'm searching. I'm looking hard. And you feel like you're getting closer and closer to shore. And we pray that today you would put your faith in Jesus and cross over from death to life. We pray that would happen for you. But this is the crazy thing. When that day comes, and I pray today that you come to the shores of salvation, you look back and you realize there was a motor on the boat the whole time. And that motor was God pushing you to faith by his power, and you thought you were rowing. That's the gospel. So you don't look back saying, look what I did. I rowed my way to God. You look back and say, God pulled my stubbornness to him. That's the power of God. (laughs) Paul, this is offered to all who believe. Hey, you would believe if you haven't yet. Some of you saints, I pray you believe all over again. Because if you're like me, my belief begins to waver sometimes. I get stubborn. I get sinful. I get prideful. And I need to come back to where God brought me. And I look around and say, God, you put me in the boat. You've been, you've been pulling me along. See, when we're saved by this power, we become unashamed. Paul says, this is for the Jew first. And also to the Greek. Paul wants to make sure we don't mistake the fact that Jesus was a Jew. And when the gospel went forward, it started in Jerusalem and then to Judea. In fact, Paul himself, when he went to a foreign city, his first stop was the synagogue where the Jews gathered. And the reason for this is because God's promises first came to the Jews through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is him fulfilling his promises. But he also promised in the Old Testament that this message of salvation will be extended to the world, to the nations, to the Tagalog speakers in our world, the Korean speakers, the Farsi speakers, the Spanish speakers, and so forth. That's the Jews and the Greeks and all the Gentiles. This is the power of God to save. We won't be ashamed, church, unless we've believed in the saving power of the gospel. But that's not all. It goes on in verse 17. Not only for those who've been saved by the power do we become ashamed, but also for those who've been changed by the gospel's pronouncement. Now, yeah, I'm alliterating. I needed two Ps, power and pronouncement. But the word pronouncement is actually a great fit because if we look at verse 17, let's look what it says. It says, for in it, referring to the gospel, in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, this is a jam-packed theological statement that the rest of the book of Romans is going to unpack. See, our passage is kind of the the thesis of the whole book of Romans. But what I'm going to do is unpack it for us, and we'll see it thoroughly digested later on. Paul says, in the gospel is the righteousness of God revealed. It is revealed. Now, what does the righteousness of God mean? When we think of someone who is righteous, we think of them as just, don't we? Uh, They have just judgments. And so when you go to a store, and you've got a little one with you, and there is all kinds of china around you, there's porcelain artifacts of all sorts, what I do when my kids are with me Pull them real close. Because what does it say on the counter on those little ledges? You break it, you buy it. This is what God's law tells us. You break it, you've got to purchase it. The law says you break God's law, the penalty is death. Now go pay for that. You broke it, you buy it. And so when we think of God's justice, we think of his judgment this this is this is bad news church because none of us can buy it none of us can buy it in fact in the 1500s a man by the name of martin luther before he was reading this passage as a catholic monk an augustinian hermit he was and he would read this passage and be like this is just condemnation because I know I broke it. This is, this is what Luther's saying. I broke it, and I break it, and I keep breaking it. I wake up, and I break it. The first step out of bed, it means I broke it, because I didn't think about God, because I did it by my own strength. He's like, I just keep breaking it, and I look at the purchase price, and all I see is death for me. This is Luther's struggle. He's looking at this passage like, I don't know what it is. Until he understood the other side of God's Righteousness. It's not just the break it, you buy it, but the you break it, he bought it. See, on the other side of God's just wrath is a God who is merciful and gracious. And what Luther began to realize is that when Paul says God's righteousness was revealed in his good news, it's not just God's judgment that was revealed, but God's way of salvation where we can be declared righteous be revealed. This is what he says. I love how he says, he says, because I took took it to mean the righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. That's us. He says, night and day I pondered it until I grasped the truth. The righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and his mercy, he justifies us, he declares us right by faith. He says, thereupon I felt myself to be reborn. And I have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of scripture took on a new meaning. And whereas before the righteousness of God had filled me with hate, it now began to fill me inexpressibly with sweet love. The passage of Paul, this one here, he says, became to me the gateway to heaven. Paul is saying is this, I mean, what Luther is saying is this. He finally understood that at the cross of Jesus, that exchange we talk about every week took place. God's wrath was poured on Jesus, who took our sin, and what did Jesus give us in exchange but his righteousness? What an exchange, church. Paul's like, in the gospel, That exchange, the righteousness of God, has been revealed. Now we see that when God sees us, he can see the perfection of his son, though we are sinful, and show us grace and mercy accordingly. Luther's like, it's a new life for me now. The law says you break it, you buy it. Grace says you break it, he bought it. See, when we change by this pronouncement that you are now declared right, it causes you to be unashamed. It's a pronouncement, church. You are not a righteous person. I know you're not, because I know you all. Come on, right? But you're pronounced righteous in God's sight because of Jesus. And Paul goes on right here. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So he's saying now we've got to live in it. We've got to walk by faith. And then let me summarize this right, right quick. He's quoting the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4 here. And in this book of Habakkuk, it's pretty wild, and I'm just going to give you a quick one-minute version. In the opening chapter, Habakkuk is like, look, God, I'm a prophet to the people of Israel, and they're bad. They are a wicked people. You need to come and judge them. God's like, okay, I'm going to send the Babylonians to judge them. And Habakkuk's like, but God, they're worse than we are. Like, there's going to be righteous people here in Israel to get judged because of this wicked nation. And then God replies, listen, are you going to trust me or not? If there are righteous people, let them live by faith. Just let them live by faith and trust me. And back it's like, all right, God, we're going to trust you. Paul is telling us here, look, this righteousness that Jesus has given us moves us to live in life through this world no matter what comes around us, church. And we're called to live by faith. Paul says, I am unashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. When we are changed by this pronouncement, when we have been saved by this power, we can't help but share with people what God has done for us. Yesterday I read an article of something that happened in Italy, which is pretty wild. Italy's known for their wine, aren't they? And their food, but their wine especially. There was a small village in Italy... That grew grapevines and, and produced wine in mass. There was a malfunction in their drainage faucet system, so that 1,000 liters of wine, ready for bottling, started going through people's faucets. How about that? Tw- Twenty different homes were turning on their water, and wine was coming. Some of y'all are like, man, I accept that in Jesus' name. Like, just once, right? i bottle that up. Isn't that wild? 20 different homes. Wine ready to be bottled. I was thinking about this. and I like, that's, that's just the craziest thing. I mean, and you can see the video. You see people with their faucets on. It's, just, it's red. When I think about the gospel of Jesus, it's like the red wine. It, it's, it's good. It's ready to be used. It's ready to be proclaimed. And we really are like these faucets. And we're like, uh, God, how could, how could I be used for the gospel to come through me? The same way a faucet would be like, how could I be used for wine to flow through me? What's beautiful is this wine flowed through it unchanged because the importance was the wine itself, not the faucet. See, in the same way, when God says we're, unashamed of the, we're to be unashamed of the gospel, God's like, I know you're a broken vessel. I know... That you don't always work the way you're supposed to work. But I'm going to use you for my pure message to go through you into homes everywhere. To impact lives, to change people. Church, when we say doctrine makes us dance, we're saying that when we understand the power that we've been saved by and the pronouncement that we've been changed by, it puts us on the move to live for Jesus. Will you then be unashamed? Will you, like Perpetua, say, I can be called no other thing? Or like Polycarp saying, God has never denied me. How can I deny him? Church, there'll be times where we fail. There'll be times where we are ashamed. And God is merciful, causes us to repent. And turn back and then open our mouths. The gospel needs to be lived out and needs to be spoken out. But, church, if we are understanding doctrine, let's go out and dance. Let's dance through our streets. Dance at the workplace, at your schools, and make sure people know what God has done through Jesus. Church, let's be unashamed. Let's be unashamed. I'm gonna close in prayer, and I want to make an invitation for those here who've yet to put their faith in Jesus. And I want you to know that the power that has saved us can save you from your sin, and that you can also be pronounced righteous in God's sight. But it all begins with faith. And today you may have come rowing your boat. I pray you look back and see as God brought you here, and as God who brings you to the threshold of salvation, I pray that you would say, God, I believe. We're going to have our prayer team come forward and we want you to just step up to one of them and say, hey, this is where I'm at. I, I, I want to trust in Jesus today. Maybe you got an off course. Let our preaching pray with you as you want to get back on course with Jesus. And church, let's not just keep our decisions secret, okay? Because when they're secret, they don't stay with us beyond the front door of this building. But when we make them known, God begins a work of change in our lives. So let's pray. We do praise you, Lord, for this gospel, this message. And we want to be those town heralds, those announcers who with excitement, who hustle to every place telling people the good news of your victory. Use us, Lord, in spite of us as seemingly rusted out as we feel sometimes. And let your good news flow through us and make a difference. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand up and sing with us this closing song? Our God has the power to raise the dead to life, spiritually speaking. And so let's give him all the glory and praise as we sing this closing song.